You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. It's the amazing Rico Bronya podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronya, yet another edition in which we get to talk about a Met acquisition. Remember that time during the offseason when nothing was happening? It was pure speculation. Well, now we've got action, and the people, the Met fans, got exactly what you wanted. We got exactly what we wanted. Hopefully we don't regret it as the Mets signed Kode Senga very late Saturday night to a five-year contract. Hopefully it's only a three-year contract because he's got an opt after three years. And if he's any good, he's probably opting out after three years. The reason I say it's what the people wanted, obviously I made my opinion clear that Senga, Bassett were the two best options to fill that third spot in the rotation. Senga kind of offers you that mysterious upside. But I put a poll out. Not that long ago. I'd say it was about three or four days ago. And it was very, very simple. It was, Met fans, who do you prefer? And I only gave those two choices, Senga and Bassett, because I think there's a pretty big drop if they didn't end up with either guy. No offense, Ross Stripling was not exactly going to get a ton of votes. And I put it out there. And usually when I put a poll out, it'll get about six, 7,000 votes, you know, give or take. This one actually got 11,000 votes. So for whatever reason, more people were interested in answering this question than your normal poll question. And it was overwhelming. And I can't say I'm stunned by it. I guess I'd say I'm mildly surprised. 75% of people, and again, that's 11,000 people voting, preferred Senga over Bassett. And last time on the Rico, when we were comparing the two, even though I made it clear I preferred Senga, which we'll get into Throughout this podcast, Bassett was a fine backup plan because Chris Bassett, over the last three years, last year with the Mets, obviously the previous two years with Oakland, has been as dependable as they come. And I wondered if the comments late in the season and then subsequently struggling in his last two starts against the Braves and Padres almost soured most Met fans on him. But I would not have been disappointed if Bassett was the guy. But clearly, the overwhelming majority were intrigued by the ghost forkball. That was it. They were just drawn in by the appeal of something called a ghost ball. So 75% of people said Kode Sengel was their preferable choice. And late Saturday night, we got it. 
And I apologize because if I stayed up Saturday night, this podcast would have been recorded 24 hours earlier. But after the Nets pulled off that shocking victory over the Indiana Pacers, I was very, very tired. And my parents came over to help out with the kids. And me and my wife looked at each other and we was like, man, we can go to sleep. This is great. So I think it was by about 10.15, I was passed out. We were both passed out. And so I woke up, I'd say about 5 a.m. And my wife was already up. And she says, so do you know? And I said, do I know what? I just woke up. She's like, the Mets made a signing. So how about this? Before I even checked my phone to see the Mets text chat or Pete Hoffman or anybody else, I got my wife at 5 a.m. telling me the Mets signed somebody. So this was very exciting for me because the last time and really the only time my wife ever broke Met news to me was when Yoenis Cespedes signed. And I don't remember which contract it was, (laughs) if it was the good one or if it was the really bad one. I actually think it was the good one. I think it was the short-term deal that he signed after the 2015 season. And the only reason she got it is because news pops up on her phone. And sometimes, you know, this news makes, uh, the Mets signing makes like big news because she's not following, you know, sports places. She's following like Fox News and CNN. But apparently Fox News likes to report on baseball. So as soon as she said that, I looked at her and I said, all right, this is big here, baby. It's very big. Is it Kode Senga? And she says, yes. So immediately I was like, yes, we got Kode Senga. And she's like, who the hell is that? I said, ah, he's a pitcher. I've never seen a pitch other than some YouTube highlights, but I'm excited. So she broke me the news, and I went to my text messages, and Pete Hoffman was like, yo, Kode Senga. Uh, Mets text chat, Kode Senga. So I apologize. If I was up like Hoffman was up watching MMA, uh, I would have seen it at night, and we would have recorded this 24 hours later. But you know what? I like the fact that I had a chance to marinate on this. The fact that we all had a chance to marinate on this. Because as good of a move as it seems, as excited as I am, we do need to go into this knowing there is a lot of uncertainty. And if you look at the history of Japanese professional baseball players coming over to the States, it's a mixed bag and there's no exact science to this. The one thing I do know, and I planned on talking about this before they signed Senga anyway, was kind of looking back at the history of the Mets importing players from Japan. And a lot of it was when the Mets would import players from Japan, they were not exactly going after the big ticket item. They weren't going after the guy that was highly, highly touted. When they signed Kaz Matsui, there was another Matsui coming over. His name was Hideki. And it wasn't a real surprise because coming over, Hideki was the Godzilla. Kaz Matsui was, you know, what the hell was his nickname? He was just Kaz Matsui, you know? So you knew going in, Hideki Matsui was coming over with a lot more fanfare. In 2001, when the Mets signed Suyoshi Shinjo, you knew Ichiro Suzuki was coming over with a lot more fanfare. So the Mets' failures in importing players from Japan was not just strictly an example of the Mets being dumb or the Mets bringing over the wrong guys. They were knowingly bringing over the wrong guys because they weren't going after the top guys. And Kode Senga is one of those top guys. There's no perfect comparison, but when you look back at a lot of the pitchers that have come over over the years, and a lot of them have been really good, or they've been really good in short bursts. So, for example, Daisuke Matsuzaka, while overall 
We don't think of him as a success in the U.S. He did have one really good season. I think it was his second year with Boston. Hideo Nomo was you know, mostly a mixed bag. You know, He burst onto the scene after the strike and pitched really well. And then by the time he became a New York Met you know, in 1998, he stunk. And then he bounced around the league, actually ended up back with the Dodgers and pitched pretty well. So there are, you know, even if you don't want to say Matsuzaka, who also ended up pitching with the Mets, and he was a bore to watch. It took about an hour and a half in between pitches, and he wasn't very good when he was here. But they had their moments. You know what I mean? Like, even the guys that weren't huge successes had their moments, even if it's just the unknown of the first couple of years. You know, Masahiro Tanaka is a real interesting one because when Tanaka came over at age 25 after pitching really, really well in Japan, he burst onto the scene and was awesome. I mean, Yankee fans will tell you, he was great. And then he was basically pitching with his UCL hanging by a thread, and he was never as good as he was the first year he was over. But he ended up becoming like a really dependable guy and a guy that I think Yankee fans would tell you to this day, they trusted in a big spot. And he had plenty of moments where he was trusted in a big spot. So if I told you right now, Kode Senga will become Masahiro Tanaka, are we signing for that? And my answer would be, yeah, I would be. Obviously, the dream is that Senga becomes an ace, that Senga can almost become what you Darvish has become overall. And Darvish has now had a long career over here. He came over at a very young age. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. But when I look at my expectation, my expectation is at the minimum be a middle of the rotation guy because that's really what they're asking him to be after Verlander and after Scherzer. But the intrigue is that maybe he's better than even just that. And that's not really a knock on Chris Bassett or anybody else. I think we've seen the best of Chris Bassett. And it's pretty good. You know, you look at the last three years with the A's and then last year with the Mets, Chris Bassett's a bulldog. Chris Bassett's a dependable guy. Obviously, if Senga gives you that production, I think we're happy with it. But there's the intrigue of maybe he's better. You know, maybe this guy comes over and he actually dominates the league, especially early on. And this is a championship team, or at least we're hoping this is a championship team, right? The expectation, I know, going into 2023 is they better win the World Series. If they don't, we're going to be upset. So if Senga gives you that first year of dominance and brilliance because the league's not used to him, that may make it all worth it. Who cares what next year or the year after, you know, turns into, right? I mean, obviously you don't want it to be a disaster, but the goal is to win now. When you have a 40-year-old ace and a 39-year-old ace, co-aces, whoever you want to call the actual ace, last year it was easy to say it's Jake, it's Jake, it's Jake because he was our guy. Now we got two guys, not one of us our guy. They're mercenaries. And that's okay, by the way. There's nothing wrong with mercenaries. Because sometimes the mercenary can become your guy. Kevin Durant became my guy. Started off as a mercenary. Then he wanted to trade. Then he became my guy again. But when you're led by two Hall of Fame pitchers, if Senga's first year is the brilliance of Tanaka's and he stays healthy, 
That's a huge, huge win. Huge win. Now, a couple of things before we get into the history of Mets Japanese imports. That'll be a nice stroll down memory lane. I've been hearing something over the last few days. I heard it on the fan over the weekend. I've heard it on Twitter from Brave fans. This idea that's being peddled of the Mets are spending all this money and they haven't really gotten better. Well, let's be fair about that discussion. The New York Mets went into an offseason with a lot of really good players as free agents. Think about it. Jacob DeGrom, you want to call him the ace of the number two? I call him the ace, free agent. Chris Bassett, the number three, free agent. Taiwan Walker, the number five, free agent. So you had three-fifths of your rotation, all as free agents. You had your starting center fielder, free agent second-best outfielder on the market, and you had the top closer in baseball, free agent. So if you just wanted to maintain all those guys and just run it back man for man for man, it was going to cost the Mets a fortune. And I'll break some news to you, and this, this may be stunning for those that don't think enough about this. The Mets, just on a year-by-year basis, in retaining the guys they did and switching Walker to Quintana, Bassett to Senga, DeGrom to Verlander, and then running it back with Diaz and Nimmo, I can make a fair argument, save the few dollars. And here's how. DeGrom and Verlander is a little bit more complicated because the way Jake's contract is structured, he's actually not making nearly as much money this season. But if the Mets wanted to bring Jake back, that may look very different. Even on the contract they offered, it was going to be close to what they're paying Justin Verlander. So for the sake of this, we could say, hey, very close number, maybe a little bit more for Verlander. But if the Mets were going to bring him back on the same kind of short-term deal, the only way they were going to do it is by paying DeGrom a lot more money. There was no other way you were going to bring him back. Chris Bassett hasn't signed yet. I'll make you a prediction. And I'm pretty confident in saying this. Chris Bassett's going to make a lot more than $15 million a year. And that's what Kode Seng is making if you average out the 75 over 5. That's what he's making. He's making $15 million a year. Chris Bassett's going to make more. I know he's going to make more. We all know he's going to make more. How much more? I'm not sure. How many years? I'm not sure. But I, I pretty confidently can tell you that Chris Bassett is not signing a five-year $75 million contract. I think that's fair to say. And the reason I know that, or at least I'm confident in saying that, is Taiwan Walker signed a four-year, $71 million contract. Four years, $71 million. Taiwan Walker, who I think we looked at as the fifth starter, is making more money than the third starter. Now, we should compare him to Quintana because that's more guy-replacing guy. Well, let's take a look at what Jose Quintana's making. Quintana's making $13 million a year. So the thing I don't know if enough people are explaining when they try to make their arguments, or maybe they don't care, they just want to make their arguments, is that the Mets, in running back what they sort of have, have actually saved money compared to literally bringing back the same guys. And I could argue they got better. Quintana makes less money than Taiwan Walker. Senga makes less money than Bassett. The Verlander DeGrom thing's a little bit more complicated, but look, Verlander makes more. I can't spin it. I just think if the Mets are going to bring DeGrom back, it wasn't going to be for $30 million in year one. It was probably going to be in that same range of between 42 and $45 million. And obviously, they bring Nimmo and they bring Diaz back. 
So it's not as if the Mets, and by the way, I think that whole argument about the Mets saving money on the Quintana Walker flip and Sanga Bassett flip while also possibly getting better is a compliment because they're not looking to save money to be cheap. Their payroll after taxes is going to be over $400 million. But the idea that the Mets are just spending money like drunken sailors and they haven't gotten better is not very fair and is not in the proper context. The context is they had a lot of free agents. Now, you want to disagree with how it's being spent? Okay, I'm open ears to that. I understand that. I had a buddy of mine at work say, okay, I wouldn't have given Verlander $42 million. I would have... Now, he didn't actually offer a solution. Just said I wouldn't have given Verlander 42. Okay. Now, if we're being fair about that money, let's split it up. You want Carlos Correa? Maybe that's the guy you want to add offense. All right, Correa is probably going to cost in the 30s. Let's say $33 million. That leaves you about eight or nine to fill the Verlander spot in the rotation. Who the hell are you getting with that? I'll tell you. Andrew Haney. So if your argument is, hey, I would rather have had Correa and Haney with Correa on a long-term deal than just Verlander on a short-term deal. Okay. I don't know if I agree with you, but that's the argument you can make. Anyone, and you'll hear it, Met fans, anyone who just makes the blank argument of, they spent a lot of money and they haven't gotten better, they're not giving you the proper context. Because look, there's an argument to be had. There's definitely an argument to be had on spending the money differently. I get that. There's no one way to do things. I think we all know that. But to attack the Mets spending and say, and they haven't gotten better, can you believe it, is not putting their offseason in the fair context. They had a lot of guys who were key players to last year as free agents, three-fifths of their rotation, basically their entire bullpen, their center fielder and leadoff hitter. So it was always going to cost a fortune just to run it back with the same guys. It was always going to be the case.